a Podcast One production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and this is A Plate to Call Home, conversations with fascinating people all centred around food. Today on the show, I have a very old friend of mine, Mr. Matt Preston. We've known each other for a very, very long time, well before MasterChef. But there's so much the public don't know about him and things that I don't know about him. So this chat was my chance to change all of that. Enjoy. You know, actually, when I thought about um, bringing someone in to do a podcast, I thought, who could I talk endlessly to? Uh, for hours and hours and hours, and Matt Preston, I think, was on top of the list. We talk an enormous amount of rubbish. We do, on we set. do. But that, but that, but that's the reason why. That's the reason why I'm sure all three of us would say that we still do the show because it wouldn't be. You know, I can think of, and I'm sure you can make a long list of, of names. And if any one of those people had been the uh, like the third, the, other. the third judge or the the third and second judge, it, it would be no fun. You, you have to the amount of hours you spend together. You've got to understand. Um, you've got to understand people's boundaries. You've got to understand people's strengths. You've got to you've got to you've got to avoid those that nasty uh, element of TV jealousy, which often splits mm-hmm. apart um, uh, radio gr- groups of radio people, groups of TV people, and and you've got to be able to do that that bloke thing. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a band or whether you're in a touring theatre company or whether you're just you know you're you're selling coffee machines door to door. If you don't have that kind of that inner language and that, that those inner subjects, and we're lucky because food is that, and we are all food nerds, um, you, you you'd go mad. It becomes a terribly soulless operation. You know, TV is not TV for all the for all the the glitz and glamour that comes with the publicity and the you know and all those trappings. It's not a it's not a you know it's not hard work, but it's not a it's not an exhilarating thing to do because it takes a lot of time. You know, it takes a lot of, you know, we, we do radio now, we'll put out, we'll talk for an hour and we'll put out half an hour of, of content. We'll film for what, 12 hours oh. and we'll put out, you know, 45, 45 minutes. minutes. So, so it's with a, some ads and, and with some abstracting. So I think, you, I think you, you have to have, you, you, otherwise, if you don't enjoy your workmates, work becomes a That's chore rather than pleasure. That's the formula for our success. There it is in a nutshell. Yeah, I think so. It is a, a little bit of a marriage. If... If we, oh, that's a lot less sex. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe like a marriage. <laughs> it, yeah. Well, uh, you make me do the vacuuming and the washing yeah. and I don't, you know, I tidy up behind you, don't I? And I suppose, I suppose. If, <laughs> that is very true. You know, yes. it's, we, 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 have to, we have to forgive each other for the I, things that we do well and do badly, don't we? Well, I think that's, yeah. Amongst I think the three of us. Uh, but I think that's, I think that, that's what's, that's the advantage of also having 10 years together is that you, you have time to start to understand where those bar- where those boundaries are and where those barriers are and where your weaknesses are and where where the strengths are and you know and like we you know yesterday we spent the day together in a in a in a studio shooting lots of photographs not exactly the hardest of days but um but I you know I think what's happened now is you watch and I watched well, I watched you with George just looking at the pictures and going George just stand slightly differently or do this so I think yeah. uh, we've always talked about my, the three of us being a triangle. And that we, you know, and one, eat because the triangle is a very strong shape. Because one side, 
you know, there's always a side facing out towards any threat that comes towards you. So you, you, you're definitely in that situation, you, you, and you have each other's backs, literally, because you're standing back to back. And I think that's been one of the, um, you know, we, 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 we've all got different demographics that love us, don't the great, we, Gary? The great successes, yeah. No, I'm I, not going to talk about de- demographics, because I know, I know where Matt Preston's going there. He's going to talk about our fans. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm talk and, about the fact that I, I, am, <laughs> I am somewhere between Barney and, and, and a non-green Shrek, and that's why... And that's why my fans tend to be four to twelve. Um, <laughs> your fans, George, your, has a base of young fans. Well, yeah, teenage yeah. to yeah, 20, late twenties, twenty-five. But I believe he, 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 they're the fans he actually wants to cultivate. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a bunch of slightly older ones. Is but, that what you say? Well, no, I wasn't, they're all age appropriate. I, I, to, I, I wasn't. Me. I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go down the, the how you how you are catnipped for women over 50, but um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to go there, we can go there. No, <laughs> no, I but, love it. No, but the, the great thing with George, I think, is, the, the, is, is when you take George out to an area where there are lots of old Greek people doing their shopping, and, and George has become every Greek um, grandmother's, Yaya's um, 13th grandchild. Yeah. And they'll come up and they'll squeeze his cheek and... And, yeah. and it's kind of cute. even though he's just turning forty, he, it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. He's got in front. He's got old, unlike us, yeah, in front good. of our eyes, hasn't he? Which yeah. is amazing. But the difference is, we started out old, and so and, and you know that you know that thing is kind of it's the um it's the age of man. If you start at kind of in your forties, then you're already old as far as everyone's concerned. George starts in his George starts in his third, like what, late twenties, yeah. late twenties, late twenties, and you're young then. And now suddenly he's suddenly he's the dad, and the and he's telling and the dad jokes inappropriate. Exactly. Which I love. I'm enjoying yeah. it as he's getting older. Yeah, well, can we, can we get back onto you? Yeah. I, I want to, you know what I'd like to do is kind of rewind the clock because as much as we talk a lot of, you know, we talk a lot and we probably know quite a lot about each other. There's, there's some things that I don't know about you. And if we rewound the clock to you being a young boy, yeah. nine, yeah. 10 years old, what did that look like? Well, um, <laughs> well, it would undoubtedly be in dress ups because I love my dress ups. So I'd be in a cowboy outfit. I'd be in a a Native American outfit, as we call them these days. I'd be in a, a knight's outfit. I'd be in any any range of... I mean, dressing up is something I've always done. So that'd be one still thing. do. Um, obsessed, with, obsessed with football, obsessed with soccer. Grew up literally 400 metres from the front gates of, of Chelsea at a time when Chelsea Football Club in London was kind of the... It was the glamour club. It was the... Uh, and so, and that was the era when, when, when the players lived in the suburb they they played for. So you'd walk past, you know, the captain doing up his Ford Angler at the weekend. So different, um, you know, last Friday, last Friday of the last Friday of the month, you'd go down, and these superstars, the kind of the Messies of their generation, Ronaldo of the generation, would be playing, having kick to kick in the car park of the ground. With like rubbish bins for goalposts, these, these and you you'd stand there get so that so you go with your mates and do that um, during the holiday. So so very much that kind, but very much that that old school knockabout kind of um, you know rose tinted childhood of um, of uh, playing football in the park until yeah. your mum calls you in. Yeah, playing first a hundred. You know, that is that is that how you remember it? Is that the re- is, is it the uh, reality that, versus that, how you remember oh, it? Look, no, no, the reality of, of childhood is that it's actually quite boring. Really, I mean, I think in terms of you remember the high spots, but there's also mm. a lot of waking up at six o'clock and no one else in the house is awake listening to the the farming prices on the radio. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's also part of it. No, look, I, you know, I mean, I mean, it's filled with it's filled with going it's filled with going to school. It's filled with all the all, all the nuts and bolts. Um, 
You know, if you look if you look back at any part of your life, whether you're a kid or older, you know the the underlying the under the underlying blanket is not the thing you remember. But I think it's probably the most important part to get right. If that if your baseline of your life is is enjoyable, then then you become a happy person. If your baseline isn't, and you're just living for that. You know that 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 big night on a Saturday night, then it yeah. tends to be a bit. bit of and a some people are lucky, and some people are unlucky. If that baseline is not, yeah. Well, look, look. look I mean, I where, think, where I, you say it, I, th- I think for me, what, I mean, you know, my family, all my all my members of the family, have always they've always done a job that was their hobby. Mm. My old man was uh, obsessed with naval history, and he was a naval journalist. Yeah. So you know, so that's what he did. My, you know, one sister was a tennis journalist for ten years. She's obsessed with watching tennis. Um, I've I've I read about TV for. I wrote about. I used to promote concerts, and I wrote about TV, and now now I do food. Yeah. So all of which are then none of them are none of them are jobs that you get up going, oh, really? Yeah. About doing because they're they're not like jobs. Who who was around you at that age? So you I have my, you have two m- sisters. I got my I got my I got my had my my mother my mother my father my sisters. Um, we had grand grandparents who so go down to see them. Yeah. You know, just just a. Standard. I never hear you talk about your dad. Yeah, look, I didn't have a pretty good relationship with my dad, pretty, pretty close relationship with my dad, um, probably because he was too much like me and because his conversation would be, his conversation would be, um, you'd come home at three in the morning desperate for a pee and he'd talk to you, want to talk to you about a photograph of the Suez Canal in 1935 and how he discovered that this was actually, this bit of equipment shouldn't have been issued by them, but it was on the back of the boat. So it was kind of that kind of conversation. Mm. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't like football. He didn't like music. He thought they were all things you'd grow out of. Obviously, they wouldn't. So I don't think we had a we had a great. Yeah. Was he away a lot? I mean, did he? Um, oh, no, look, 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 he was. He was a journalist. So yeah, he'd go. He'd go away. He'd go away a bit. Um, he did once forget me at the. Um, he did once forget <laughs> me at the Farm Brayer show, which was <laughs> so, so maybe. How did was, he forget you? Well, because he because he was you know uh, not uncommonly like me. He was he was at the Farm Brayer show, which is a big air show. He's a he's a journalist. He's talking to all these kind of you know, all these guys who are selling planes, um, and he got he got overexcited by the experience, and he just wandered off. And I'm studying, I'm looking around. The Farm Brayer is like thirty thousand people, oh, it's a massive air. So show. so so <laughs> I so I did that thing you do as a when I was a nine year old kid. I went, I got a ticket. You know, I used to take the train to work in the morning. I got on the got on the train back, and you went home, and I went home. And that hour so hour journey on the train got a tube, went back there, turned up at the door. My 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 mother's had the phone call from going. I don't know, don't know where don't know where Matthew is, and of course, you know that caused a fantastic for all because you know I was supposed to stay where I was left, and I just done that. Well, fuck it, I'm off it. I'm out of here now. So pro- probably it's quite funny. Probably Did you buy anything style. to eat on the way out? No, I had, you had no money. No, I had no money because when oh. when you were a kid in those days, your parents didn't didn't yeah. didn't like you know throw money at you. There the wouldn't way have been much on offer. Let's be honest. There might have been a candy hey. floss or a toffee apple oh, or a. Oh, there could there could been some penny chews. There could have been some redskins. You know, the, you didn't need much, but um, you know, in those days, pocket money was pocket money, yeah, and it, it was. was and it was you know enough. You used to be able to get a half penny chew. I don't know if you remember fruit salads. Yeah, and, fruit salads. I know you're a little bit older than me, but I remember with fifty p, you could buy a hundred fruit mm. salads, which were light redskins. Mm. So imagine after about twenty five of those, you got sore jaw, haven't you? Yeah. Well, look for me, it was much more about the two thousand AD comic. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what I spent my money on the 2000 AD comic every week, which, ha- which has ironically now got so many of the, you know, now that comic books have become such a, a hip source for movie ideas, it's mm. the, all those characters are coming back and you know, resurrected in, in movie form. So did you, can I just bring you back into your family just for a second? Cause I, I kind of want to establish what's given you that, um, idea. You're a very free thinker 
and obviously all of your family have gone off and, and as you've said already, yeah. have done things that um, they've loved to do. So who set that up for you? I mean, did your did your dad die early, or did you? Oh leave no, 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 he, 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 no. He he died he died he died about he died about six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, ten. I don't know. Ten, around Something a long like a while. Yeah, yeah, no, but but not not. He was around for all that all that growing up period. Um, I think I think there's an element. I mean, I think there's an element of. Um, if you're not going to go down a standardized route. So if you don't have a role model who's a chef yeah. and you're going to go and be a chef or you want to be an accountant or a lawyer and you have a route set out and you go and do, you know, I went to university to do, go to university really, not to really do a course. There was, I did politics and economics, um, but there was no sense of doing, there was no sense of, of that's going to yeah. turn me into a food writer or a gardener. So I just found myself, I've found myself, and I suppose that combined with the fact you're staying at home, so you don't have a massive need for money. Um, we were riding, me and my best mate were riding a fanzine, so we were going out to lots of gigs and getting in for free. So so we didn't need a lot of cash like that. We'd all cycle, so we didn't need a lot of cash for that. Mm. So, you know, in London, you, you could survive very cheaply. If you can get into places, yeah. um, you can survive very cheaply. But so, where did that kind of creative left of centre thinking come well, from? Well, I, I think it was that realisation with my friend Roger. We were, lo local, down the road from us was A&M records and rod and roger's sister was working there and he's still one of my best friends we went down there and we said can we have some free stuff <laughs> and they went yeah and they got badges and things you know signed police singles but signed by sting and all this stuff just got given because they were there from radio promotions and stuff and we went oh because you know you suddenly get the realization that there's this there's this wonderful free world and that undoubtedly when we all started working in magazines um, and lots of my mates worked in magazines that our, our whole social life for the first 10 years was was built around club openings and band showcases and stuff like that and so although none of us had any money we lived this artificially rich and um, intense life and you so so I think that and I think I think that that is one thing that you kind of stumble into it. The other thing I had a I had a very um, uh, when I was at school, I was head of the sixth form, and we had a sixth form dinner. We had a, a famous writer at the time called Frederick Forsyth, who was kind of like the he was like the Dan Brown of his generation. Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, he wrote the the Odessa file. Mm -hmm. He wrote the Day of the Jackal. Kind of he was absolutely My dad's a big fan. Yeah, and and yeah. It, and that's right. And dad's and it, it was it was the the mm -hmm. dad author of his generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and he was great and the head boy was very boring and so I talked I had like three hours sitting with him and he and he did give me this one bit of advice at the end he said I'm going to just tell you one thing which is you know that underpins my success he said you have to understand that you should always be open to to opportunities when they come along because you never know where the next great idea is coming from you never it, it normally won't come from the CEO it'll come from the the guy, the guy driving the taxi, and I think that, and I think that that kind of being open to stuff and trying stuff and being a punk and so all that stuff that that, that came after that, um, and also not having a lot of choice about what you do because you're not rich, um, all that stuff means that you kind of do things um, rather than go down a structured path where we don't do that because people like us don't do that. So you know you'd 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 find yourself in strange squat parties in the in the in North London, or you find yourself in 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 odd, different environments that are outside of the you know nice private school upbringing that I had, mm. um, and and that's also fun. A punk, yes. 
lived in Chelsea. Did you have a particular style as a punk? No, I was pretty shit punk. Because <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of, I was, I, I did spend, I did spend <laughs> two days painting the the images from um, London's Burning, the the front cover, of the Clash first album, onto a white shirt, ha- like hand painting them. It was very stylish. I had, I had, um, I had a pair of old jeans from the dress up box, which I stuck stuff to. Um, but and it was that, but that was quite exciting back then because there weren't many, there weren't many punks around. So we went, no. you know, Strangler's first gigs and stuff like that. We, um, me and my mates would all go to. Um, and so there was that weird sense of you'd bump into people, a lot of other punks at Victoria Station. I was going back to school because I went to school in the country. And, um, and these two guys were like, what are you doing, mate? I said, oh, we've got to go back. I'm going to go back to school. He went, hey, come with me. Come, we're going down to, um, we're down to Croydon. We're going to see the jam and the clash play. And I went, oh, that's no, mate. I can't. It's called mate. So there, there was that, that strange early sense of, um, uh, of cohesion. I think, you, I think you found it with the, the warehouse scene in, in Australia. Um, you know, maybe 15 years ago, that when you, when it's a very small gang of people and clothing becomes the way you identify people who've got shared interests, and that that was kind of exciting. But yeah, being a punk, obviously, that that meant, and punk was great because you could go to the op shop and buy yeah the most bizarre things for yeah. you know forget forget the 50 penny shoes you and get strap 50, the legs together you, you, you 50 p buy your five shirts you know <laughs> that's right strap the legs together tear the tear, tear the, stuff tear stuff in fact George know. has got some of those jeans now but but the difference is that but now, he pays a thousand dollars that's right exactly <laughs> rather ridiculous he just doesn't know does he so 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 certainly that kind of that 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 kind of was um that underpins like well, certainly the stuff that I wear now that that oh can we but the difference is now that now now you can make them all shiny and sharp and things actually fit rather than being you know being you know i was i was um i was tall and and about you know 50 kilos lighter than i am now and and so all the suits i could find were were from short fat men so the arms would come halfway up the sleeves and the and and they'd be baggy so it was perfect when bands like eck and the bunny men came along and rolling up your sleeves as the look you already already had it already there (laughs) what was the craziest thing you did when you were at uni doesn't have to be the crazy. It could be a funny story oh. that you've uh, you've told others but not told us. Oh, look! I think you know. I, I think the things you look back on are the things you regret. And I think now having now having kids myself, I think of that. I think of that absolutely lack of sense of mortality that you have when you're a kid, and I think that that's terrifying. Whether it's you know running around uh, you know five stories up at a party, running around the parapet and dancing on the parapet of a, a skyscraper. With like you know the hundred foot drop behind you, you just didn't think about it. Stuff you did, and you go, and now you think you go. I feel sick thinking about that. I feel sick at that. You know, the step back was a step sideways. Um, you know, some of the 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 rash driving adventures you'd go on with mates. Some of the um, some of the clubs you'd find yourself in. Some of the situations you find yourself in in squats with you know with with people chroming as it was back then, and you know nearly dying, and you know and having you know, all that stuff. You know that all that stuff is you makes you realize how fra- potentially fragile life is and how amazingly resilient or lucky we all are we always talk about wanting to be lucky people but i, I think we've, we've all found ourselves in that situation you know the, the times in the pub when you that your mate said the wrong thing to the wrong person and you know it ends up with a clip around the ear and a runaway <laughs> but you know it, it could be so it's that it's and it's that whole where oh, you don't notice it when you, when it, when you're in it, but now I think now that I've got kids, I I notice it, and I'm you know you see it with the the, the guy that gets the guy that's get gets cab punched in a in a in a McDonald's and dies, and yeah. you know, and you go, 
Oh, there's, it's a, I don't know whether there's more publicity, but certainly you're much more in tune to it. You've got well, a young daughter. You get older, you so, must get more sensitive. But, it does. It occurs to me sometimes that it's miraculous that we all make it. And of course, we don't all make it. Yeah. Many no, of us don't true. make it and we leave them behind and every so often we remember them. And of course, because you've got kids, you're looking at them going, please don't go dancing on the top of a... But, but yeah, but don't make it, you know... But, a tall but, building. But in, in terms of the things that, in terms of the things that take them, it's, I mean, I'm don't think of, you know, the, the kids that died when I was young, uh, car crashes, um, drugs, yep. AIDS were, were, the, were the three yep. things. And, and that, that's where they went. Um, and look, yeah, the, the incidents are, are so rare, but, but they're blown up super big with the media. But I think that, but that, but everything changes, doesn't it? When, you know, when you have, when you have children, there's that weird thing when you have your first child and your wife and your child get in the car to drive somewhere without you. And you just don't know if they're going to come back. And there's a mm. sudden moment where you've actually got something to lose. Before then, you know, you get dumped, you deal with it. You um, you lose your job, you deal with it. You get thrown out of, you know, you, you get evicted from your house, you deal with it. But at that point, that's stuff that's almost impossible yeah. to deal with. Yeah. So I think, I think all the stakes suddenly change. And that's the moment yeah. when you go from being, you know, a young man to being an adult and... Yeah. And then you start becoming more careful. Yeah, you go from sleeping on a on somebody else's couch and not worrying about it to all of a yeah, sudden that, worrying about lots when, of other when, things. When, but also, but also, when when does that that moment happen? When you kind of you know, that, and you can see it with people that you know you you crash on people's couch and suddenly you stop doing it, and it's like, wow, you know, that was, when did that happen? What year did what, that happen? Why, why am I spending money on a hotel when I got all these <laughs> mates I could stay with? Because you don't want to be in a position, and because so everything, so everything, you know, again from being. One of the great things when you're young is everything's so easy and everything's so close and intimate. And as you get older, you you tend to get that sense of isolation. You know, we all get, we all try and get a bigger flat or a bigger house or a higher wall or a you know a, a less crowded place on the beach. Or yeah. and we we actually go the other way, which is um, it's interesting. Have you is there are there um is there a we talked about uh, uh, pathways crossroads taking mm -hmm. opportunities. Uh, something significant that happened to you, you yeah, know, in oh. uni or oh yeah, well look, you, look I mean, I, I, I was I was unexpected. Um, I was uh, uh, there was no money to send me. To I had a place at university. There was no money to to finance me to go to university. So I came up with this brilliant idea that I get I'd I'd go and um I'd go and apply for an army bursary, which would give me you know a thousand bucks, enough money to live on for a, for a year. Um, and they'd give me that for three years, and then I could pay it back. So like now you take out a student loan, it would like yeah. go to the army, and it'd be really good, and I'd get a bursary. So I so I, um, I went off to, I went off, and I did all these interviews and aptitude tests, and, and the bursary, which seemed like a really good idea, turned out to be a three and a half thousand a year, which is a lot of money back then, scholarship to go to university, but it meant I had to go but first to Sandhurst. So I had to go and do an intensive 11-week officer training course in three and a half weeks. Um, and then go to university and then, you know, come back and go into the army. So very, could have been very close to going to the army. Um, luckily, my grandmother knew that that well, the army really wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't really. Wasn't a place for you. Wasn't the place, place for me, probably because that, that free thinking and, and offered to, to, to buy out the, to buy out the, the, that, that thing after three years. But otherwise I could have been there. I could have been in Northern Ireland. I could have been a, I could have been wearing a tweed coat now. Gee. Again, going, oh my God, you're wearing shorts. That's not a prayer for a totally man in town. That would yeah. have been a different outcome. Wouldn't yeah, it? And, that, and that whole thing of you know that whole thing of and and Sandhurst is a brilliant machine in terms of, of turning into stuff. Like in three weeks, my my mates noticed that my attitude, my accent changed, my attitude changed because I was with you know yeah. I was with thirty five other uh, 
scholars. Yeah. So, you know, you're thrown into this world where you're probably getting four hours sleep. You're spending two hours polishing your shoes to get them shiny. You're, I've learned, I learned how to iron a shirt. I know it's one of your favorite skills, <laughs> ironing your shirt, ironing it properly. Um, so yeah, so that, 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 that probably could have been the, the strangest. Um, but like, I also realized pretty, I really also really pre- I realized pretty early on that, that, you know, the, there's stuff that goes with the army that's not perhaps the peacekeeper role that the army has now. Back then, it was it was still quite it was still quite jingoistic, and um, and that that never really sat. It was well a very different me. thing, but I think it was far more acceptable and kind of a not an unexpected thing to do. I mean, oh, I, one of my friends right, yeah. joined the army, yeah, absolutely. just off straight off the bat, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it seemed a strange th- strange thing to me, but I didn't overthink it. Whereas but, now, if that happened. But I'd, I'd feel a little bit differently. But I think. but that but that but that was still that era in the army. Well, I've got a, I had a great friend at university called Ollie, and not you know Ollie went and joined the guards, and he spent his winters skiing and his summers <laughs> sailing, and that was that poster, that was that yeah, recruiting poster image of the of the army. It wasn't being in a you know whether it's Helm and Progress or whether it's in those days it would be um yeah it would be going Northern out to Ireland, Ireland or the Balkans and and look um, and you know when, when I because when you get a scholarship you get courted by these. These these different regiments, and they they was taken out. I spent three days in Northern Ireland with the uh, with the regiment out there, and that was that was truly terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. I mean, just just because you really felt you really understood how alien the 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 presence was, that kind of you know British presence. You, not just we were there during the marching season, so you've got the Orangemen marching, you've got the the Catholics on edge because they feel they're going to be attacked, and yeah, it was a it's a horrible situation and. You know, we, we, that was only, what, 30 years ago that we had that kind of, you know, nigh on civil war in, the, in Northern Ireland that kind of, you know, and now we talk about how, how much at risk we are, but so different oh, very different than it was now. Yeah. You know? Well, I think I've told you, I remember um, being in London and uh, trying to cross Regent Street and being stopped oh, yes. by a, a policeman who said, you can't cross because a bomb's gone off down in Regent Street yeah. and I remember being angry and upset because I couldn't walk across Regent Street I wasn't yeah. even thinking about the yeah. bomb but, but I'm just going to be I'm going to be late for work but I think in Britain and in Ireland but, you just got but, used to it but Aldershot Immune. Birmingham Harrods um, you know I worked with someone whose who's fiance was was killed in the Harrods bombing so uh, it's kind of that's again you know that especially living here in Australia which is such a beautifully kind of you know uh, by and large very fine society um, it is weird to think back of that the bombings were part of the, the everyday life yeah. back in back in the UK. After the break, we talked to Matt Preston about the future of food and where Matt sees himself down the track. Stay with us. You've had numerous jobs, haven't you? I have, yeah. I'm what was one train. of the most interesting? Um, oh, or bizarre, gee. or I, when I or fir- enjoyable? When I don't I, mind. When I first, my most bizarre when I first arrived in Australia was. Um, the the, pub, the big publishing house I worked for in the UK had an office out here, and and the, you know I was in this brilliant situation where where I worked with a small wing, this giant like Ministry of Magazines it was called IPC, three and a half thousand journalists and salespeople in this building, and we were the biggest selling magazine, and we were we we'd been bought from the TV stations, we were like we were like TV Week, mm. and and we were in we were in this when I arrived in that place we did a little, little office, and there was and there were lots of most of the marketing team that I were all women, and there was the CEO and the CFO, and they would invite me for lunch in the boardroom, and and they were lovely. And they kind of they kind of mentored me, and you know gave me wine, and we had a great old time. Then when I moved here, one of them one of them was now running um, the worldwide operations for their business arm, and he basically said in that brilliant way that people do, and that's that. They went, you never know where the opportunity is going to be. He said, Oh yeah, we've got an office in Melbourne. 
Would you, why don't you, why don't you just, you just, we'll give you a desk and you can just go there and a phone and a computer and you can just, you know, file some stuff for us occasionally and it'll give, give you a base. So I had that for, when I arrived here, five years. Um, the, one of the first jobs I got to do was they said, look, do you mind, could you go out, there's a veterinarian down who's doing this genomic research. So, you know, into, and, and I went and interviewed this man and this man's job was masturbating rhinos. And now I've never met a man who masturbated a rhino before. I, I never have either. And, and, it, and it is, and you know, and you go, and you see, so you have this great conversation about where they put the electrodes and how they do it and is the rhino still awake and do they have a smile on his face? And, and, <laughs> all and the old jokes. So all the old gags, which is fantastic. So that was... He gets horny, that's for sure. So that was... Oh! oh, oh you see, sorry. Uh, that, that's you must a, have said that one, sure. No, that's a George level joke. We sorry. Um, so that, 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 that would be the most bizarre, I think. Um... But that, but that's the great thing when you when you start being a, a journalist, you just do meet um, the cool stuff. I did, oh, you know, um, I don't know, interviewing John Candy. One of the last interviews John Candy did before he died was interesting. Um, what what stuck in your mind about that? Oh, how sad he was. You know, there was a sadness about him, um, and and you kind of think that. He, and I think that's one of the, you know, it's something that comes back occasionally you think god here's this man he's a superstar at the time you know his uncle buck he's funniest man in the world and there was a kind of there was there was a sadness about a sadness about him you think gee it's you know you don't ever want to be that you don't ever want to be in that situation do you where you're not where we're not and i think that's why we're so the three of us are so lucky because we've we've got these two valves on either side of us that they're able to say do you remember what you're doing mm. you know whether whether we're discussing chef crack or you know all those rubbishy things about our past or how bad it was or how boring it was or you know or or the you know the overdraft that was grinding down on you or the the stupid hours you're working um we've got two people that remind us how much better our life is and how and what an amazingly kind of perfumed and scented place that the three of us are in now um but i think i mean you, you see it with people who don't have that don't have that support. Yeah, they get isolated as talent. They get isolated, and and, and it changes them. I and mean, we we've all mm. we all know people like that in different and forms of life. And that's what he was like. He. Do you remember asking him a question and going, "Oh, no, I, I I just remember being so kind of in awe of talking to John Candy, because you know he was John Candy, and and it's only in in retrospect you and because obviously you know he hadn't died at that point. It's only yeah. so things become so much. You know, perspective is such a strange thing that everything changes three months ago no you know I've, uh, I've I've yet to find the tape somewhere there must be a tape of that interview it'd be great to listen back to it and I'd see love what to else listen to it to see what else you can hear but so I think that the, the, those those are the th there are certain things that stay with you um, and I think that have a again have an influence but uh, but there's you know millions of, I mean you know doing 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 concerts doing doing live comedy shows you know um, where 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 I promote it and you stand on the side of the stage, you look at 3,000 people laughing at, at, at an act that you put on, and you think, oh, that's not a bad way. You know, it's not a bad way of enriching people's lives. And I think that, and I think that kind of idea of taking pleasure out of, taking pleasure out of the end result. Yeah. Because, you know, as a journalist, you don't see the end result until you go to the printing press and you see, um, I went once to see them. We did, the magazine had about a print run of about forty thousand. Going and watching these forty thousand copies of this magazine rolling out, and it would the cover hadn't been stitched on, so the inside back page, which was mine, was kind of there, and you just see it coming out. No picture on there, thank God. But you know, just go, wow, look, that's you know, look at where that's going. Look at look at how that's reaching. Um, look at so you kind of 
you start to take it seriously because otherwise you end up working in isolation. Yeah. You stop thinking as about, much as about you're outside. passionate about food. When you talk about being a journalist like that, is that how you feel about journalism? About um, words? I don't feel about like, the English language. I don't feel about. I don't think. I don't. Would never class myself as a journalist. So I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm. Uh, I, I don't. I don't have that desire to break a story in that same way. I'm not. I don't. I'm not desperate to reveal what's going to happen in that side over the road. But I'm. Uh, my voice taken an attitude about that my role as a, as a writer, as a food writer, is to be a conduit between people and experiences. So when I was reviewing restaurants, the idea was to find a good place where you would go and go, I'm glad I came here and spent my money. That was a good night out. That, that, was, my major, that, that was my major experience, obviously, to analyse if there are any wobbly tables in the place was obviously <laughs> essential as well. I don't know who would have wobbly <laughs> tables in their restaurants. Only one, Gary. There's only was, one, there's was a, me, there it? was only one wobbly table mm. out of 40. That, but of course, the journalist gave it to you. Table. No, no, I, I just naturally sought my way to it the way that yeah. fate takes you. Um, so I think, so I think they, but I do love, I, I like, I love language and I love stories and I love, and I love digging a bit deeper. And I, and I have, as I've got older, I've started to become frustrated with, um, I don't see myself as a journalist, but there are a lot of people out there plying their trade invariably online that are under research that are mirror copying that are plagiarizing that are now plagiarizing has always been part of being a journalist but mm. you try and you check something from three sources you know there's a still from one source is plagiarizing still for two is research still for three is original research with the with my old man's favorite favorite saying um so i do get i get frustrated with you know these kind of these things that get these myths that get repeated that aren't true. Yeah. I mean, Sarah Wilson, who we both, both work with, had this great one about, about don't eat carbs after four. And you, everyone taught, that's, a, that's one of the great darting you know, rules of, of the modern generation. She said, show me where that research is. Try and find some research on that, where, where a proper study with a big group of people, not funded by, not funded by a dinner-only restaurant... <laughs> actually says that and you can't find it and yet these things now become become true they, we, we live the internet is the purveyor of the modern version of the old wives tale and so some of those old wives tale were great because they were true you know if you did rub a dock leaf on a nettle sting it would go away mm. but a lot of them you know we were talking about shaman the other the other day a lot of them are purely about making you feel better or or about often offering you hope and I think that's one of the I think that's one of the cruelest things about about uh, so much modern writing is is offering hope to people um, when it's unfounded. Is is that weird? I mean, because actually, I can relate to the, a lot of people relate to it in industries themselves where they feel you know, like in cooking. Oh, people don't do an apprenticeship anymore. It's not as thorough. It's not as in depth. On the flip side of that, I see entrepreneurial opportunity or specialists yeah, sure. yeah. How, how does that does that uh translate in a in the in the same way or um, do you see oh no i, I, mean, I, how on I, earth, where I have nothing going? where's I journalism have, going I have, I have nothing wrong i look i love i love i love you know that i love prime example in melbourne there used to be a website which sole job was to rate every palmer in melbourne that's i remember that and it, and the best palmer was the best palmer in melbourne that has a genuine value following the reviewer the the lead reviewer around and putting your two cents in on where they went and where they went wrong has no value because you're not broadening the conversation um uh, uh, 
running a website in order to promote your in order to promote your particular your particular peccadillos in terms of food um, offering a silver bullet that is unproven to people that will make you and it's always the same it was always the same thing and, and this has been the same thing for hundreds of years you will live longer you will become more virile you will become better looking you will become skinnier mm. and i think you know and this is the great benefit of being old like us guys <laughs> is you realize that there are no silver bullets no. silver bullets are for werewolves they're not for problems yeah. like that but it's sell 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 but, but, it, but yeah but that that's right if you put if you put out a website that said eat a little little less exercise a little bit more it's not but if i can tell you if i can tell you that grinding up cardboard coffee cups <laughs> into a paste and ingesting them will make you 30% skinnier. You'll lose 20 kilos over life. You know, it's like, it's like, come on. And, 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 and we are, and I think it, there is this terrible thing that, uh, that in some, some areas we are become much more cynical, but in other areas we're like naive like a child. Where, where if the big mm, glass and plastic box on the table tells us something, we go, I must try this superfood. Mm. So where's it all going? Food. Well, no, no, it doesn't. Not about food. I mean, we Life. can stick to uh, no. We can stick to um, writing and oh, look, you know, writing, writing, writing. Where's it all going? Writing, writing's because everybody's got their say. Yeah, no, and and thank thank goodness we still have people who are willing to employ employ writers and give them enough time, enough space to mm. tell stuff. And and for me, that's my you know what I love about what I love about um, writing for Delicious on Sundays. You know, I work with a brilliant editor. Um, and I get real freedom to write about the stuff that bugs me. I'm, I'm working on something at the moment on about the future of the restaurant, the threats of the restaurant. So I think there, you know, I think there, in this world, there are restaurants that we all have to go to, you know, and it's probably somewhere like that hamburger joint that's run by the same family does a great hamburger, and and then suddenly it opens up next door to it, one of those kind of modern trains, which has got the cool graphics, and everything's come out of the central kitchen, and it's just, and it's, it's a salt, it's a. It's pretending to be artisan, but it's a soulless multinational corporation type model, and it's not Joe and Greg running the place anymore, you know. And it's like I still want I I want those I want the I want the owner operator to survive. I think that's been one of the great things about moving to Australia. The owner operator that that's where the exciting food is. That's where the risk is. That's where the fun is. That's where the uniqueness is. The bar culture in Melbourne is unique because it was it was individual bar owners going, let's open a Japanese robot bar and we'll fill it with and just going, yeah, there'll be at least seventy people in Melbourne would like that, and that's enough for us to make money. And, and that's that diversity and excitement and idiosyncrasy is is what I think makes food and drinking and going out lots of fun. I, I don't want it to be like London, where every single high street is. There's a porte, a dome, a pizza express. I have my pizza express, but it's kind of like it's like uh, you know a, a, a big name, a big name chef with his chain of 40, 50 restaurants around the country that doesn't do a particularly good job. You go there because you know you've seen him on the telly selling it, and it's, it doesn't. There, there's a disconnect, um, and I think in terms of what's coming, in terms of automation and canteens and robots making burgers for people and. Um, you know all the costs, the computer costs, the technology costs that are going with um, we with running a restaurant. Um, the smaller guys are going to get pushed out, the idiosyncratic guys, and we're going to be left with you know the small the chains of three and four now will end up being chains of of one hundred and fifty two hundred, and that'll be 
all that's left. And I want to go to that Armenian restaurant run by two maths professors four nights a week where they cook the food they grow up with. I want that's that to me is what the excitement about food is. I don't want to go to a kitchen where all I hear is a ping of of microwaves as um, uh, food production workers because they're not chefs anymore because they're not being trained so they don't have to pay them so much pull stuff out of microwaves cut the plastic bag and send it out I think that's and I think yeah. you know I we, think what we, we've all you know when we've talked and we've eaten in a lot of places uh, we kind of all agree that the very best is what you describe is owner operator it's a young oh. chef who doesn't care about uh, money who hasn't got to the point in his life just yet where yeah. He's found a partner, got married, yeah. has to had pay kids, fees, paid yeah. a mortgage, yeah. needs a new car. And, yeah. the, and the reality is you need that kind of burning uh, passion uh, and money has to be irrelevant. Well, well I, mean, I mean, I think that... I think, but a difficult but, life. But you see, we, but we, are part of, we, we are part of that, as a food run, I'm part of that problem of selling that romance of the chef as the pioneer, the chef as this noble kind of um, crusader after culinary truth. Yeah. And the answer is, you know, I mean, some of some of my favourite chefs are still the, you know, the guys who who do who run banqueting brilliantly. You know, the the, the rare ten chefs in Australia who can do a, a yeah. good dinner for a thousand people. Um, but I just I just worry I worry about I worry about you know with all the developments opening up and the desire for new places and you know and everyone's got to have a you know that it'll, it'll have a version of that text max mm. place and we saw it with with uh, Starbucks when they came in that cluster marketing trying to luckily there was enough loyalty there was enough loyalty to the existing coffee shops they couldn't that it became not viable to yeah. stay and i think that's and i think we i think there's a i have a worry that that we're we're potentially slipping down a road and we're not we're not sitting there going i need to go to that vietnamese place at the end of my road because if i don't go and support it yeah it'll it's go. not going to be there if i yeah. don't go to that and it's the same with any of that street if you don't go to that butcher it ain't going to be there anymore and you're going to be and you're not going to be able to get your your lamb neck cuz it's not a mass market brand you won't be able to get you know that special chicken you like or going to the green grocery you'll have the same 20 veg you won't be able to find persimmons or really nice melons or stuff that's yeah. in season you'll just get the mass market stuff i went to breakfast this morning to a very well known cafe that we all know with my dear wife yeah and we were sitting there chatting and i noticed that either side of me that all they were doing was photographing their food. And it's finally got to the point where it's really annoying me. Like, it's really annoying. And we do the same thing. We go out and we photograph it for prosperity, for our own professional interest. But I go, can you just but I don't, can you look, just uh, talk to each other and eat Two it? moments. Well, the one is you, you should live in the moment. But the, on the upside, that is brilliant. Because for their thousand friends, they're in a cafe that's probably owner-operated run, yeah. that they made the food themselves yes. that morning. They cared about what's going in there. The person who owns the store is in the store, and these people are, are doing the marketing job because you know when you've got a, yeah. when you've got a restaurant, you can't afford yes, to brilliant. do adverts and stuff like that. <laughs> You're it's right. actually really good. So, so on, the upside, on, the up, on the upside, there's, there's, there's kind of, there is that. The, the, there, are, there are some massive positives in terms of that. And I love the democratization of, of reviewing and going to a good place and going, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I love all that. Um, but I just think we need to, I think, you know, history has shown that if you're not vigilant at all times, you lose the stuff you value. Yeah. Our way of life is under threat, Gary. It is. And we have to work out what's important about our way of life. And for me, you know, going to that hamburger, going to, 
you know, going to Melbourne and going to the Andrews Hamburger Joint, going to Guildford in Perth, and going going up to going up to the the, the famous hamburger joint up there, or going up to Petersham and having really good chicken run by the same people who've been there for three generations. That that stuff matters. And when we travel around the world, Gary, where do we eat? We go one fancy restaurant and twenty hole in the walls. Yeah. And if I ask you about your best food experience in India, they are I reckon often hole in the walls. Largely hole in the walls. Hole in the walls and for sure. And, and I, I, I love that, and people know, probably know this about us anyway, but I love that idea of perpetuating a, a technique or a skill or a dish that becomes multi-generational. I love that idea of passing down something to another generation yeah. and carry it forward to yeah. another one. Yeah, it, is, it is the best of anything, whether but, it's a bread or a, but, a, but it, but it's, but it, a it's, spring roll. But it's your connection to the – it's your connection to, to who you are and where you're from. And, you know, when, when – and given the fact that – that the people move around so much. You look at what they, you know, they leave Georgia, you know, the, the Russian state of Georgia, and they come here, and the the language goes first normally, um, and then and then the clothing goes, and the traditional dancing goes, apart from weddings. The one thing that remains is the food, and so you talk to you talk to you know Italian families about about you know doing the tomato day or, or, or doing the salami day, and you know that that's a that that is a that is a, a chain that goes back generations and generations and generations and connects you to who you are in a, mm. in a much better way than just going to have a swab and a DNA test. If you, if you rewind the clock a little bit, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago it probably has to be, did you see yourself thinking about food in this was, way or talking about food in this way? I mean, because you wrote about lots of other things. There was yeah. a point where you became a food journalist or no, I, I, food I think, writer. No, I think it's been. You know what it's been. It's been as you, as you can. I've been writing about food for twenty years, so um, you get to a point, and it's probably been in the last um, four years where I start to to think that you know you've got a voice and you need to use it for good, yeah, rather than keep quiet. Well, that, I, that was kind of the next question. I was wondering, you know, what do you champion? What would you love to? I mean, you've. Love champion. to stand up for that. Oh, look, you know, you know. Are you like, just becoming a grumpy old man and just going to start throwing? <laughs> you're, well, throwing I mean, you're throwing things from the balcony, aren't you? Rubbish. Toys out of the car. No, there is. You're absolutely right. That is the other thing. I'm justifying it as as social responsibility. Yeah, but you're just being grumpy. But, but there is an element of being grumpy. But it's also because you're old and you look at stuff and you go, "That's not right." It's not right if mm. the people who earn the most money in Australia don't pay any tax. That's not <laughs> right, you know. It, the, the, and there's so, everywhere you go, you're going. Am I the only one that's mm. sitting there and going, "That's not right"? Yeah. Because there's a natural, there's a natural sense of justice. Mm. There's a natural sense of justice that so we we all can agree on. It. If we sat round, if you know, instead of, if instead of being run from the top, we run from the bottom with you know small little groups of people. You sat around and go, okay, what's the fair thing? Is that fair? No, probably not. You can't do that. Um, and we kind of know, and mm. you know, and that's that, the community but, elders. Uh, well, or or a system that, of old. It's that weird thing when we went to Japan together and litter in Japan. Yeah. And the Japanese have just got together as a society and gone, litter is wrong. And so you don't litter. No one litters. There are no rubbish bins. They take their litter home. And if you drop if you drop something, they assume that you've done, you've done it by accident and you probably need to be... And they'll tip you on the shelf and say, oh, you, 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 yeah. you forgot You drop your coffee cup. And, and you've done that. But, so they, they have a... And, and I think we kind of, we did it with racism. You know, it's happened here with racism that you just go, well, you know, probably apartheid in South Africa wasn't a good thing. Mm. You know, maybe... Or in Australia, because oh, we yeah, had it here. That's right. Or in Australia, we would say, you know, this is not a good thing. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, that, that's not who we, who we are as people now. So I just think, 
But in Japan, same thing. They ride their bikes on the pavement without helmets, which is, you know, from an Australian, you go, that's weird. But they haven't because they haven't had that kind of social contract to do stuff. So I think we do. I think, think, you know, it'd be lovely if we could move towards a a society that was a bit more equal and a bit less... um, Divergent. You know what you've got to do? You've got, you've got to use the angry grumpy while it's still there. Because I think what happens as you get older, you oh. become a little, you, you, you become yeah, defeated by it. I remember my, yeah. my dad saying to me, he goes, you know, you're 50, you've heard things f- five times. He goes, I'm nearly 80, I've heard things 10 times. The same things over again, the yeah. same, yeah, 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 you know, same you, you hear the politicians yeah, say yeah. the same mm. thing and you hear the people in response say the same yeah. thing and how much changes, who really knows? Mm. But in terms of food... In terms what, of what would you love? Over, so let's say over the next 10 mm. years, it doesn't have to be do with restaurants, but just with how we eat or what we're responsible for. What would you love oh, to see change? Look, I, look I, think, I think we're already seeing, I think we're already seeing the change. I think we're, you know, that, that idea of eating uh, reductarian, they're calling it now, which is a very trendy phrase, or flexitarian, which is eating less protein in, in favor of eating more vegetables. Um, you know, the water and soil are going to be big problems in terms of, you know, the, the, the where. We're depleting them, um, and we need to stop depleting them, um, and that's one that's one potential way of doing it. So you know, spending less and, and better in terms of protein, um, uh, the ethical treatment of animals. There has to be a, an element there. It has to be sensible. It has to be be held within a point of you know people need to eat. So it can't just be um, it can't be in that kind of Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. You can only eat this kind of egg, which yeah. costs thirty dollars an egg, because that that's unsustainable. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully it's, um, I mean, I love this, I love the community kitchen ideas that are coming up in around Europe where it's kind of, it's a, you know, you, you go out and, and food remains this kind of social interaction. Um, and, and I think again, it's about, and I think it's again about people embracing each other's culture through experiencing their food, whether that's, you know, going out to the, to a, a suburb where, where that's still there and treating it as an adventure, treating it as a holiday you know, with a 20-minute car drive at either end rather than a nine-hour flight. Um, so I, that's great. I think that I think the I think the the high end's starting to bore me now. Mm-hmm. I kind of have seen it all before, and it's like, and it's kind of it's a bit it's a bit that there is an there is an element of wank and pomposity about it that's kind of fun. And then the grumpy old man now, I mean, now going, really? You're going to set fire to that at the table? One, I've seen it 10 times before. Two, what's it It's not going to do anything. It's just like, oh, look, fire. And having once set fire to the, um, one of the most, most embarrassing moments of my life was I, was I was hosting a dinner for the Crown Prince couple from Denmark, so Mary and Frederick, and I was sitting next to the High Chamberlain of Denmark, and I was mucking around with, with, um, with one of Mary's ladies-in-waiting, we would playing around with the candles as you do i'll rephrase that um we might edit that one out um we we, we that, that, there's fantastic like dec- decoration beautiful candle we you know mucking around with the wax and stuff and we managed to set fire to the high chamberlain of denmark's place setting and it was giant flames going off it was like it was like oh, who rescued that. the moment water me quickly <laughs> trying trying not to put try not to pour the water on his crutch when i threw the glass across the flaming table decoration he's it, look setting fire is bad but making it look like he's weed himself will look even worse so yeah so look um yeah yes mm. draw a veil over that one i've forgotten about that it's not good in your life now as a australian celebrity that i, I 
and that's you know it's it's awkward sometimes, isn't it? When you, you, people describe no, you I mean, as a yeah, celebrity, yeah, no, because you are, but, and, and I think but, even even amongst uh, the three of us, you are the, you're but, the but, biggest. No, no, I, no, but that, but I don't think, uh, but I think that's I, I would not. I think what we have been so lucky, right? Because I, you know, I'm, you know, we've all we've all got mates who've who've done who are genuinely, you know, that that kind of you go out with someone who's genuinely famous, mm. um, yeah, and or because then that's the journalist thing, you know, they'll be at the GQ Man Awards, you'll be next someone who's genuinely famous, and there's that, oh my god, I can't talk to him. That mm. stuff, you know that, and yeah. um, and we don't get that reaction. We got yeah. that. Hello, mate. How you going? Yeah. We get the we. You, I always liken us to. We are like the postman you meet on you meet uh, when you're on your beach holiday in the Gold Coast. You go, oh, hello. What are you doing here? <laughs> and, and I think and I think that that's our great joy. We have familiarity mm. without celebrity. Yeah, and and so there's not that kind of there's not that kind of breathless. Kind of, yeah, not Hugh Jackman or no, not Jack Thompson pre- or proper, proper, proper you know, celebrities. Proper, proper celebrities. Mm. Um, we're, we are more, we're, I mean, we're, we're known by lots of people, but the, the interactions are fundamentally about I made a cake the other day. Um, uh, have you been here? Where are you going to eat when, you, when you're in Brisbane? Where are you going to eat? Um, you should go here. Do you like that? But, um, by the way, I did that or I made that or, you know, or how's that contestant going? So I, I think we are phenomenally lucky because I don't think, I think that's isolated us from, like, I remember sitting interviewing a f- well known Australian celebrity, proper celebrity. Um, and we were in the, we were in a, a high street, and three tradey trucks drove past, wound down the window, and called him something terrible and short. And I thought that's not a way to live our lives. Now, I don't think I don't think you and I have ever had that. We've never no. been abused from the street. Yeah. You know, the it's if, we, if there's ever a problem, it normally comes from a suit about ten o'clock at night and wants to tell you how to run MasterChef better because you know from his position on the junior stockbroking exchange at Myrtle and Bertle, <laughs> he obviously is a TV expert and knows how to do it better. Um, it, they're, they're kind of that's probably the that's the biggest hassle we get. So it, that's you know we're mm. not like we're it's not like we're Manu. We all met, and Manu, yeah, and he's part of the same club, which is quite nice. Yeah, isn't but, but that, I was but, going to ask you where it was going to go, and we're running out of time. But I was going to ask you what is, and maybe you've answered it. But one of the nicest and most surprising things that anyone's told you. Ah, uh, but Gary was their favourite. Ah, that's not legit. No, that that is that, that is one. legit. I asked I asked someone. No, I asked. It, it was a mob of kids, and oh, we all love Gary. I was like, okay, that's good because uh, you love you love that. You love that situation. You love that situation of 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 um, of every, and I think we're very lucky that you know in India you're the big star in India more so than George and I. Are. You're you know you're you're the one you're the one women women so like the food. women women. No, it's not got nothing to do with the food. It's something about your demeanour. They like it, Gary. <laughs> go, oh, Gary. Oh, Gary. Oh, Gary. 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 And and Heinz Beck. Gary. 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 Yeah, Heinz Beck, famous Heinz, Michelin star Heinz, chef. For in, those of you no idea, in Rome was an absolute. He was obsessed with you. So so look, I look. I think that's. I think no. I think the nice. The, you know the you know the nice stuff. It's the, it's the stuff we always talk about. It's it's the kid. It's I was sitting. Okay, I was sitting in a restaurant in Bangalore, and a kid came up to me and said, "Excuse me, uncle." And I said, well, "That's very nice to call me uncle. Thank you. Very respectful." Which is a sign of respect. Yeah, it was very nice. To know. I appreciated that. And um, they said, and I, and they said, I said, "What do you like to?" She said, "I like frying." <laughs> And she just wanted to talk about frying stuff, and I thought, okay, that, that's that's a conversation that's I could. Brilliant. So I, I, look, I love that. I, you you know that what it is that you know that the best thing about we are so lucky because we have this kind of this familiarity with people because of a show that's really good, 
I, I'm not so sure. I think we're all we're all not bad at what we do, but but it, it's the show that connects with people, and it's the the soul of the show that connects with people, and that's why, and that's why it's lasted so long, and that's why people care, and that's why when we get it wrong and the show goes off the rails and tries to go down too much of a drama route, people stop watching, and they just basically saying, na 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 na, that's not the show that we like. That's not our MasterChef. And so we're very lucky that there's a responsibility that goes with that, but it's also a reward because they, they come back year after year and they enjoy it. And as long as we stay true to that whole thing of the show all being about the contestants and about their journey and their adventure and their development. And, you know, last night we went out, George and I, George and I went to launch of Dinah Chan's new, new pop-up. Did you? And it was fantastic. And it was great. I should have gone. Great to support her. But what was great is that, you know, there were four pop-ups there. Dinah Chan, who won MasterChef last year, was there. Reynolds, you know, who's got um, Koi in Sydney, has opened a little pop-up here. He was there. And then uh, there are the Eliza Carly, Anna Webster. There are all these ex-contestants. And you go, how brilliant is that? And they're all doing stuff. They're all, you know, one's reviewing for Gourmet Traveller. The other one is, the other one is doing, you know, is now working on Delicious doing kind of um, doing home ec and uh, doing the kind of back house recipe, recipe testing and development um, so that was kind of like how brilliant is that so that's a you know I think not so much people telling you stuff because people always tell you stuff they want to hear there's a lot of there's a lot of damp pockets in this line of work mm. um, but it's when you see stuff like that you realise that the show has got some has had some really positive impacts you know on, to some to you know, a large number of the contestants and then broadly a kind of it's been part of that changing landscape of food in Australia, where it's no longer, it's no longer chops, chops, peas, carrots, and potatoes. It's um, it's kind of anything you want it to be, and that that's amazingly, we're amazingly lucky to have been, been part of that. It's been part of that change. I do like chops and peas every once in a while. No, you, you know, you know, you I don't. don't. No, you I like don't. The what you love. Chops more you, than that's what I was going to say. You like the tail. <laughs> I was going to say do. that's the bit I eat. And, you can have the other but, bit. But uh, and and so there and there is the uh, there is secretly between you and me. That's the future of food. Mm. The future of food. You remember? You remember that 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 um mm. that late but um rather mean chef you work with in Italy called Gabriella Mar- oh, yeah. Mar- Marchese. Marchese. Yeah. Now Marchese is great, great. And um, for me, that I learned from him that this idea that you leave stuff out. So if you're going to make a, a veal stock, just use veal bones. Don't use onions and carrots to sweeten it. Just the veal, so it tastes the veal. And I think that's the great future of food. And this is the Gary Megan restaurant I want to see is you identifying the things we really want in a dish. Mm. So if you think of the roast, look, roast chicken, really the leg, mm. no. The skin, yes. The gravy, yes. The peas, yes. The yeah. crunchy mash, the crunchy roast potatoes, yes. That's the dish there. Those you know, are the you know actually love. the best bit, and actually when you say that to people, there's a lot of people that go, yuck. I watch people take the skin off their chicken, and it's almost like it's a sin in my religion. But actually, no, the no, better no. than that is I, I the, the sticky oppor- bit. Opportunity, Gary. It's the opportunity. <laughs> the parson's the nose. sticky bit in the pan. You know when yeah, you, yeah, you, know yeah, when you yeah. get yeah. the drippy bits, mm. and then they caramelize? But that's gravy. Or you don't, you no, know, it gravy. never makes the you, gravy. Sometimes gravy tastes better. My, my wife or my daughter will say that gravy tastes particularly good. And that's normally because I haven't had a chance oh, to so, eat all the sticky bits. So the in issue the is that, because that, 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 that's you, the stock cube, the natural stock cube. You deglaze the pan with your With tongue. my finger. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> or and, a piece and, of bread. And that is the, and there was. Uh, and strangely, the, the gravy might be a little bland, but I've got my salty umami fix. I, I did, I did, I came back and, and my wife had made um, chicken pies. And the chicken pies had been slightly overfilled, and they the chickly bubbly juice oh. had bubbled over the side and landed 
around the around the thing. The kids had eaten the pies, but they left a little bit of pastry, which is the best. And they left the burnt sort burnt uh, pie filling on the pan. That was that was yeah. freaking. Get it out of the sink and eat that. What do you? What's next? What are you going to do? What what um, um, what's on the radar? Or do you just want to? You know, go and play golf because oh, you love your golf. I've started playing golf. I love that. Um, I do love that. I look. You know, someone told me the other day that that uh, by the time your children are when your time your children are seventeen, you spend eighty percent of your time in your life with them. That that's eighty percent of your time, and then it's done. So there's only twenty percent left. So I think it's really important to 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 prioritise that and spend time with that and go and, and do those things again and watch yep. the cricket, even if it's a bit boring. Um, but go and I mean, you know I love holidays. I do love holidays, and we've got you some, love traveling. I love traveling, and we got some. We, you and I have got a, a couple of trips coming up, which will be great fun with with George and and with Shannon. So that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. You know what it is? Very quickly, TV has done one thing. It's it's prolonged my lo- deep abiding love of being a writer and being a food writer. That's what. That's my. That is my. That is my. Um, that that's my soma. That that's my drug. My drug is that idea of two days just going down the rabbit hole and researching a story like the history of the brownie and finding out stuff that no one else has done or the history of white chocolate and digging up stuff that no one, that, not anyone on the internet that no one's written about because you've actually got to talk to a person and that involves making a phone call, which is a, a thing that I can, an old skill that I still have but other people have forgotten about. Um, and I, I still, that's still the thing that, that, that rocks my world that I love to do. So I'll continue, I'll continue to, to write and enjoy doing that. And, um, and you know, then, then you, then you know the thing you, me, George, are doing a show on channel 31. We're going to be sitting on a veranda whittling and we're going to be talking about the old days. And, and that'll be at the point when people, people say, when they say George, Gary and Matt, they go, they're familiar. Were they on, were they the guys on that show with, um, Julie Goodwin? We go, yeah, that, oh, yeah, maybe, no, was it? I thought, wasn't that Matt Moran? I thought it was Matt Moran on the hay. And, that, that, and that'll be the way. And, w- and we will be a footnote in history, but we'll, we'll have had a very, very, very fine time. And, and watching it change and watching it grow. And that's the, I think, half the pleasure for me is, you know, when I go to a, back to that young chef that's doing it for the, for the love and for the passion, for the skill and the technique, when he puts up a dish or she puts up a dish that's truly surprising, I love that. Something but, I'd never think of, never thought of, never would. But th- but that but that is but that is a mark of being happy in your own life mm. is when you can when you can celebrate the footsteps behind you overtaking you. Wow. And I, I and I and that is the great moment. That's the great moment. That's the moment when you know that you have become a fully formed human being when you can celebrate the success of your replacement. Wise words, Matt Preston. The wonderful world of food. You know what? Brilliant. And I could chat to you for hours. You know that. We chat all the time. And actually, I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> That's right. And we'll get the conversation no, no, will continue. No, no, I'll actually see I'll actually see a day up to tomorrow. It's even sooner than that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll... We've got a flight and a trip. Well, so, so uh, 7 o'clock, Tullamarine Airport. Yeah. Another hour and a half on the flight. Unless you start talking to the guy sitting next to you about, about geological, geological formations. <laughs> it's always interesting. So here are my tips and tricks, and I'm stealing this one from Matt, because even Matt loves the fact that he's really good at cheats and hacks in the kitchen. And this one is one of his best recipes. He takes a whole cauliflower, takes the outer leaves off, and then pops it in the microwave, just 
as it is for 10 minutes until it's nice and soft. Who would have thought the whole cauliflower? And then brush it with olive oil, seasoning, a little bit of spice if you want, and put it in a hot oven, let's say 180 to 200 degrees, for about 20 minutes. And what you get is a cauliflower that looks like and tastes like it's been in the oven for two hours. Delicious, sweet, a little charry. And then to finish, hummus, yogurt, chickpeas, more spices, whatever you fancy. What a great idea. Matt Preston, you're all right. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski, executive producer Jamie Shu. audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. 